0: Please join me for the uh, reading of God's word. It's in Malachi chapter two, verses 17 through 35. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the justice of God, or where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, Against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's Word. Amen.
1: So this morning we finished up uh, six weeks of pre church Sunday school. I want to thank those uh, who taught. Uh, Nancy took the kids and we had people in. With nursery, that was fantastic for Bob, Chris, others who led, thank you. Bill Fairback who's watching, thank you and Critty for food and um if we're going to we this was an experiment to do this before church. Uh, we typically have done some Sunday school things after church. We're going to be taking a poll over the next few weeks. You're going to get something. We'd like to know if you participated, how you liked it, um, because we'd like to do something uh, in the new year, but we're trying to figure out when and how. So just be aware. We'd love some feedback on that. And do remember that next week we're going to do a baptism right after the service. He's, uh, he's here prepping. Matthew's here prepping for the baptism for next week. We're going to be going to a pool about 300 yards that away. So you can either take a car down or walk. It'll be at the end of the service. We'll just, as a church, go down. The service will end there. So prep yourself for that. It'll be exciting. It's sort of in, it's indoors and undercover, but, uh, Matthew, it'll be cold. So I'll be in there with you though, as will at least one of your parents. So okay let's open if you got your Bible open up to the book of Malachi or if you got your device open up we are in a brief study in the book of Malachi as we look at how the themes of this last book of the Old Testament pull us into the story of the gospel it's going to be a very familiar story in a couple of weeks as we begin uh, the the Christmas story but the Bible being one story it doesn't just begin when Jesus was born what has been predicted and talked about has been heralded throughout all the Old Testament for hundreds, thousands of years, looking forward to this day. And Malachi, the last prophet, looking at the people of God who've come back from being enslaved by Babylon. And now because of a change of government policy, Persia has taken over and has released the Jews back to Jerusalem. So what they've been praying for after 70 years of captivity is now taking place. And they get there and they've been there now about 80 years and they're incredibly disappointed. They get back and things are a mess. The infrastructure is non-existent. The uh the temple that they wanted to build, the second temple, is, is just a shadow of what the first, Solomon's temple, was. This is just a much lesser. They're, uh, they're finding corruption in government. They're finding their religious leaders are not who they said they were. I don't want to pull this up. This is coming down on my ear and it's distracting me, so give me a second. Then you may need to adjust because I'm pulling it back to my, my mouth. So they're finding this disappointment and they're going, we didn't sign up for this. This is not what we wanted. What do you do when you're told or you expect one thing from God and from your life? And it turns out it's not like that at all. And so they are they're beginning to live how they want to live. They're just kind of bagging their faith, frankly. And so this is where we picked up, and Malachi is set up as a series of six kind of disputations or debates where the, the the prophet, Malachi just means my messenger, and he brings before the people and says, you say this, but this, and then kind of plays back and forth with the people. And so last week we looked at the first two of the disputes, and the first one we opened up with was this sense of. God's saying, I've loved you forever. I've loved you from the moment I met you. I've loved you as my people all the way through this. And I haven't left you. I'm going to love you forever. And they're like, how have you loved us? Life's awful. And he says, you have to realize when I chose you, it comes with some expectations. And so he says, I chose you. I didn't choose Esau You came from Jacob, and I, because I chose you and I loved you, I'm working to purify you and refine you, and sometimes that hurts. And so he says, I'm never forgetting you. Just like if our children wander away from us, it's like, we're going to forget about them? No, we're going to pray. We're going to, to love them and invite them back in. This is what the Lord is doing. The second disputation that he says is, look, you priests, you're not offering sacrifices in the temple. You're bringing your worst, your lame animals. I expect you to bring your best. And we looked at how the Lord doesn't want us to bring anything but our best because he's given us himself. So these were the first two things that were sort of disputes that, that uh, Malachi brings up. So now, what Tiffany read was actually the fourth dispute, and we're going to talk about the third one. So if you have your Bible, I want you to look with me at at Malachi 2, verse 10. This is the third dispute, and it says this. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? Malachi is including himself, right, in this. Why are we faithless to one another? profaning the covenant of our fathers. All right, so what's going on here? Well, Malachi is saying that, look, we are, have a common heritage. We have a common creator. We're one family. But he says we're treating each other, and the, the verb is strong. It's treacherously betraying one another. Think of the worst sort of betrayal that you could have. A friend, a family member who really just knifes you in the back. He says we're doing that to one another, and he brings up this idea of we're profaning the covenant of our fathers. Okay, so covenant's a big word that's used a lot in throughout the Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, but in all the Scripture. What's a covenant? Right. Well, it's covenant. Simply is the simplest way to understand it is a contract. I would say the difference is. A covenant is a contract that establishes a relationship. Most contracts we have, you know about contracts, right? Lots of paperwork and little things you want to sign for various uh, uh, jobs you want done around your house. My favorite contract that we ever entered into actually was when we first lived in Florida. We we had bought a house, small house. Youth pastors didn't have much money, but the termite people came to our door and said, we've got this great termite program. And you know, we, I grew up here, termites weren't a huge issue, but in Florida, they're like the, you know, the state bird. And so, uh, we, we were like, so I read through the contract and two things caught my eye in this. It said, if, if you, if you pay us money and allow this to be treated, any damage to your house, we'll pay for it and make it right. And the second thing was, this will convey to the next owners. And I said to Nancy, well, those both seem really valuable. And so it was a pretty good amount of money for us but you know, as poor youth pastors. But we thought, well, we'll invest in this. Well, wouldn't you know it, about two months later, like it's like a nightmare in our bathroom. We go in, and there's just termites everywhere in our bathroom. And so after we kind of screamed and cleaned it up, uh, we called them, and the termites had just eaten like part of the bathroom wall. And so they came, and they did the did the repair and it was significant and we're like oh thank the lord well about three months later our living room wall gets eaten and we're like oh my gosh so we called them and they were like well we didn't really sign up for all this you know we're like i got a covenant man i got a contract like, all right all right so they came out they treated again better they fixed it by this point our money yeah you know, i have spent a lot more money than we hadn't given them that and about six years later, when we were moving away, we contacted them and said, we've sold the house. And they're like, oh, we've done away with that part of the contract. We no longer do that. I said, oh, no, you didn't. I have your signature and my signature and my blood. Well, it's my money, but it might as well have been my blood. I gave to you and my, my father's a lawyer. My father-in-law's a lawyer. You're going to honor this contract. This is a, this is a covenant. About three years later, I learned they were out of business. And I like to think I had a hand in that. (laughs) But it was valuable because we sold it with the contract that you're covered. The covenant of God is written in blood. And it can't be undone. But if you're not under the covenant, right? If you haven't, you come under the covenant in the New Testament by faith. In the Old Testament, it was by being Jewish, right? That's how you came under the covenant. But you walked in faithfulness to the covenant by obeying the law. The Mosaic Covenant is what's called conditional. Do this and live, disobey and die. But we all understand those kind of covenants, right? Because those are the kind of covenants we live under, right? If you do this, the company will do this and, and whatever, but God also has covenants that are not unconditional. Most famous, probably the Abrahamic covenant. He just says, Abraham, come outside with me. Look at the stars. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your offspring. And, matter of fact, the whole world's going to be blessed through you. What did Abraham do to deserve that? Nothing. Not a thing. He had to do something in response to it. What? Just believe it. I say, just believe it, right? The unconditional contract of Jesus Christ to change your life is exactly that. He says, come outside with me, my sons, my daughters. Here's what life can be. Here's the freedom that I offer to you. Here's every sin forgiven. You have to believe it. You have to put your faith in it. For the people to whom Malachi was writing, he says they're under a covenant where they needed to walk according to the best of their ability, the statutes that they were given. They didn't have to be perfect. There was a sacrifice for sin made for them, but they had to believe it. They had to offer. They had to walk in it, and they weren't. It says they're betraying each other with treachery. And he says, and, he, and interestingly enough, the example he gives of the breaking of the covenant is let's let's read together uh, in verse eleven. It says Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been in Israel and in Jerusalem. What abomination? He says what 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 is this? For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. That's priest talk, which he loves. And he's married the daughter of a foreign god. And then he goes through in verses 12 through 15, and he talks about the way that they'd gotten married. Both the priests and other Jewish men had gotten married. And then, as they'd entered the land, they'd come back from where they had been exiled, and they saw all these foreign women. And they thought, that's what I want. I don't want... The one I'm married to now, you know, the one human institution that's looked at as a covenant, right? Is in, in, the major one is marriage. That it's not just a contract, it's not just a promise, it's a sealing of a relationship. God says, "What what I've joined together, don't let anyone put asunder. You 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 keep it." And so they had decided... Now, remember, in this day and age, women could not initiate a... Take in the context of what they were looking at, women could not initiate a divorce. Only men could. And so, basically, they were just casting aside their wives. And Malachi calls them up for it and says, you're profaning the covenant of God. Here's an example of how you're doing that. It wasn't the only way, I'm sure. Now, once you look... This is really... This is interesting... Now, I've been very open about the fact that I've been divorced by many of you know that. Some of you may not have, but but I don't make a I'm trying to hide it or whatever. Forty years ago, I'm you know, I it was painful. It was incredibly painful. And I was a Christian at the time. And Malachi 2.16 in the King James Version reads, God hates divorce. And I grew up in sort of reading King James, not because I thought it was the only good translation of just what was there. And, you know, it's a very, it was a very short bus ride for me from God hates divorce to God hates me. And I, I, I felt like, if you know, Hester Prynne and Scarlet Letter, I felt like I had a big D on my chest. There were years where I felt like, how could I ever minister? How could I be God's person? Because I don't want to do what God hates, but it, here it's happened, Read with me in the ESV, which is not a translation that shies away from trying to speak the truth. It's not trying to downplay. But if you look with me at at, uh, uh, Malachi 2.16, here's the way they've translated it. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, that man covers his garment with violence says the Lord. So guard yourself and don't be faithless. I remember thinking, now, I know that God hates divorce verses in here somewhere as I was reading. I was like, that's a very different translation. Here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to go through why they translated like that. I spent about two hours this week kind of like, whoa, how did they get that? I, for anyone who's interested in this, and you should be, because... Some of you have been divorced and, and you know people. I want you to look at why they did that. I'm going to put that on you. If, if you know Why did they do that? I'm not saying it's the right translation or whatever, but it's quite different. And so here's the, I just want to say some things pastorally. And I'm just, this is not, I'm not going to try to say things doctrinally, but I want to say some things pastorally about this, is that... Uh, I do think God hates divorce, but I think he hates it because it always comes with sin somewhere in the equation. It always comes with brokenness. And that rather, you know, sometimes in our society we can celebrate divorce like it's a great thing, and sometimes it's the right thing, but it's never a great thing because it always speaks of deep brokenness and pain. And so... In the context of those who've been, who violated the covenant of here, the emphasis here, if you read through this, we, that's one of the verses people know in Malachi, but the context of this is how they've left the covenant. They've left the promise of God. It's not so much on the divorce. That was an example of what they had done to totally just disregard God's promise and covenant. And so, um, marriage was designed, as Ephesians 5 tells us, it was designed to reflect the new covenant. It says, Paul's saying, Christ and His church, man, male and female, man and woman, husband and wife, I can't even tell the difference between the two. They're so interlocked. Because the promise of how God loves His people was to be modeled by the covenant of a man loving his wife and that the way the church submits to Christ was to be modeled by the way the wife submits to her husband. This was supposed to be a covenant picture. And that's not just Paul's. This this goes back to what we're reading now. And so I think God weeps for the brokenness of the covenant. The other thing I want to say is that um, there are valid scriptural reasons for divorce. And sometimes when we have a blanket statement like God hates divorce, it's like, Sometimes that is really the best alternative. And I'm not this is not a, a sermon on divorce per se, but there are places where it is. The, it is the right thing because of the brokenness that has happened. And so we should come at this. I want us to come at this. If you I'm not advocating divorce, I don't think, oh, I'm so glad this all happened. But I think God's heart is for broken people. And to restore what's been ripped away by sin. And the covenant and the promise is full in force. And so his covenant promise to us is for those of us who've been divorced. You know, God was like uh, present with me in a way that I couldn't never have known. um, Because, you know, when Nancy, like Nancy is a partner to me now, I saw the Lord coming close to me and. I'm grateful that he doesn't just leave me and say, "Well, you're divorced. That, that was it. That's, you're done. Can't really. You know, you're relegated to second-class citizenship." With some sins, that being one, it can feel like that sometimes. And so, as we advocate for righteousness, as as I counsel people, as we talk to people, we're not trying to make anything easy for people to be divorced. That's just not God's posture. But we need to come at this with the idea of God's plan and purpose won't be stopped. Uh, more to say, I have more to say on that, and maybe maybe I'll write some things out. But um, that's a, a personal thing with me, and I, and this will tie into this fourth disputation. What Tiffany read for us this morning? Would you read with me the fourth one, which begins at Malachi two seventeen? You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. That is, God delights in people doing evil or by asking, where is the God of justice? So the fourth dispute that Malachi brings up is that, look, God doesn't do anything about wrongdoers. He lets these corrupt leaders and, and, and these husbands who are divorcing their wives for no good reason. was not a valid reason to divorce them. It was just they saw somebody better. He said, they, God doesn't do anything about it. And right is wrong and wrong is right. And so what he's impugning is God's character. He's saying, you know, I, I, I hear about the God who is of justice, but I don't see it. And look at Malachi's response. Chapter 3, verse 1. Malachi, speaking for the Lord, says, Behold, I send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord your God. So first, let's just say, Behold, I send my messenger. It Literally, if you read it in the Hebrew, it's I'm sending Malachi. Because it means my messenger. So on one level, he just says, look, I'm here. I'm speaking the truth to you. But we also know, remember, we're bringing in what's going to come in this next season of the Bible. Is that there's a messenger that's going to come. And he's going to come in the power and the spirit of Elijah, which Malachi discusses he says, "There's somebody coming to set everything right. And so you think there's no God of justice, you think the bad guys always win, you think the criminals get elected into office? You think that? You wait. I'm setting everything right. My messenger is coming. What's he going to do when he comes? Verse three uh, verse two. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like Fuller's soap. Fuller's soap is just like strong lye soap, like the strongest thing you could use to get a a stain out of a garment in that day. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Alright, let's stop just a second. If I say... Hey, there's a fire. What's a reaction? It all depends, doesn't it? If I said it right now, looking in the back, then probably we should all make our way calmly to the exits. Or we'll just panic and run over each other. But you're probably panicked if I say, if if someone wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, Hey, there's a fire. But if you're somebody who does controlled burns in a forest... Doesn't bother you at all if someone says, "Hey, there's a fire." If you're a refiner of silver, or if you're a, like a blacksmith in the old days, say, "Hey, there's a fire." Well, it's, of course, it's part of my job. It's part I need a fire. It all depends if if there's a problem with a fire or not. Sometimes it's exactly what you need, and sometimes. It's, it's something that will destroy, and you, you, you have to do something about it. God coming as a fire, which is how He's seen promised in coming, it, it's either really bad news or really good news. I've said this before, and it can sound strange. We should love the judgment of God the way we love refiner's fire. Do you want to carry your sin with you forever? the things that plague you, the things that like totally... Do you want those things in your life? If you don't, then you should want a refiner's fire. You should want to be refined as silver and gold. Is it going to be pleasant? I didn't say that. Might it hurt? Maybe. But we should offer ourselves. When I went... And, and told my friends, Michael and Betsy, when I felt like I had a D on my chest when I was in my early 20s and went through that. And uh, I just felt like I carried that around with me, you know? And they said, well, you need some fuller soap. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but they knew the Bible better than I did. Said said, it's going to hurt because lie will hurt. But the only thing that's going to wipe away the stain is the loving washing of God. The washing of the water of the Word the washing of fellowship, the washing of His love, can clear every stain. But if you don't want to open yourself up to the washing and the cleansing, then you wear the stain of sin. So he's saying, look, I'm going to set things right in your world, but you know where I'm starting did you, did you catch that? Where is he starting the judgment? Who, who's this talking about? Is it all those bad guys, all the Persians? Is it all the lousy people living in the land? Who? He says, the sons of Levi. They're the priests. They're the, they're the people in there. He will purify the sons of Levi. Do you know who the priests are now? You, me, if you're a Christian... Does judgment begin with the household of God? If it does, then we should be open to being cleansed. And then we would have a message to speak to others. People who don't believe in God, they don't desire to be cleansed. You have to know you need cleansing first. But if we just walk around looking like it's just as messed up as everybody else, it's like, what do we have to offer? It says, look, he will purify the sons of Levi, and he will refine them like gold and silver. He's going to return that priestly function to what it should have been. What's the priestly function? To bring people and God together. So that when people walk into the temple, they couldn't come in, but they could offer to the priests, and the priests were the mediators. And so now we function to bring people together with God by the word of the gospel. And by us. By our, and by embodying Jesus. Jesus. People need to see Jesus with flesh on. You can tell them, but if they don't see it functionally, if they don't see it working, it isn't going to change lives. Then the offering of the Lord, finally in uh, verse 4, of the Lord, of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. And then he's going to draw near for judgment. And then he begins to deal with those sorcerers and others outside. It's not that he's going to leave them. But we begin with us. We're going to see the advent in two weeks as we begin advent. We're going to see the grand fulfillment of this promise. Where a messenger comes and says, "There's somebody going to set everything right? Because... I I mean, you don't have to look around our world very much before you think, yeah, we need help. I don't have to look around my own heart very much before I think, ouch, I need help. There's a messenger coming to say, prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming. Do you want the Lord to walk through your life? Would you like that? Would you like to know the voice of the Lord? Would you like to know him? If you do, then say, messenger of God, fire of God, fuller soap, Come, wash me clean. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank You for Your Scripture. Lord, I thank You for this congregation's indulgence and sort of my story. And um, Lord, as I process this, I pray that uh, as we look at issues of our day, Lord, the need for cleansing, Lord, we look at the painfulness of divorce as a a mark of, of people ignoring what you put forth as a covenant. Lord, we pray that we would see you as the one who sets things right, who can change hearts. I thank you for your cleansing power, Lord, that forgives sin. I thank you that you're a God who isn't just passive, uncaring, But that you want to reach into the deepest parts of us in order to change us. Lord, we carry with us the message that our world is, which is that there is a God who desires to reign, who desires to bring his kingdom to this kingdom. So bring your light to our darkness, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we close in worship.